This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. Look, we all know from experience, compliance sucks. But what if I told you that there is a better way? Our good friends at Bycheck developed the first ever managed service for SOC 2. Leverage the innovative Bycheck platform and a combined experience of over 30 years from the Bycheck team to complete your SOC 2 examination faster without the headache. The Bycheck team works as an extension of your team to prepare evidence, draft SOC 2 report sections, and provide all the necessary artifacts to your team to then provide to auditors. Reach out to the Bycheck team by dropping down into the show notes and visiting bycheck.com. One of the first questions we ask ourselves when we get into technology or cybersecurity is, what is my IP address? In this episode, we have Chris Parker. He is the creator of whatismyipaddress.com and also the host of the Easy Prey podcast. We talk about the origins of his business and some of the crazy scam stories from his podcast. Without further ado, let's jump right in. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again here in the studio. And today we've brought in an all-time legend. We have Chris Parker. He is a creative and an inventor. Chris, you created whatsmyipaddress.com, and you're also the creator and host of the Easy Prey podcast. I know I've used whatsmyipaddress.com throughout my entire career in life. Wanted to say thanks for building that resource, and most importantly, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be able to be here today. Chris, we met because of a chance encounter during podcast movement, got introduced to you. We had a great conversation about your background and the stuff that you've learned over your long career. But for the folks that don't know who you are just yet, we'd love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. Sure. I am the creator of whatismyipaddress.com. Started that back in the pre-Google days. I think it was AltaVista and maybe it was even Lycos at that time. Ooh. And it was never planned to be a business. It was just a solution to a technical problem I was having having at an employer I was working with. And uh, over the years, it turned into a side hustle, a little bit of a traveling money, weekend money. And a few years ago, it became my full-time job. That's incredible. When we were having our first conversation, we talked about some of the challenges that you had with the website. I would love to hear a masterclass of how this thing came about and the lessons you learned along the way. Sure. I'll let you uh, interrupt and ask me questions as we go so I don't go on a a 45-minute monologue here. (laughs) Perfect. It was funny because with it not really even being uh, a planned web property, it was just running on an old NT, a Windows NT server box in my home on a rinky-dink DSL connection slower than pretty much everybody's cell phone today. And the point where I realized that, hey, there's something going on here was when the logs took up the entire drive on the machine. And at that point, I'm like, oh, hey, there's traffic here. I should start looking at what's going on. And so I started looking at the traffic, put a little bit more content on the site, actually put something other than just the IP address on there. And ultimately put a, hey, if you've got any questions about IP addresses, go ahead and email me and put my email address up on there. 
and started to get uh, a lot of the same questions over and over again. And that resulted in me saying, gosh, I don't like answering the same questions. Let me put a fact page on the site. And so there were about 10 or so questions that people kept asking over and over again. How do I hide my IP address? How do I change my IP address? What the heck is even is an IP address, which I don't know why they were on the site. <laughs> to begin with <laughs> at that point. You just had people asking, what is my IP? <laughs> like that was an easy question, but then they started asking, I don't even know what an IP address is. I'm like, why are you on the site? It doesn't make sense. And with the advent of uh, Google AdSense, that was the tipping point for me to realize, hey, this actually could be some side income. And for those that don't know, everyone probably has seen AdSense, even if they don't know what it is. For a long time, the vast majority of ads served on the internet were through this great little self-service program from Google called AdSense, where you just put up a website, threw a little bit of code in there, and they would choose ads based on the content of your site. And uh, if you wrote a site about mesothelioma, you got really expensive clicks and made lots of money. And if you wrote about IP addresses, you got almost no money. It, it's one of those, not a very monetizable, at least in the early days, not a very monetizable subject. What I love about the domain is what is my IP address is almost SEO in its best nature. Like, the website describes the service and it answers the question that you probably had in the first place. I know when I was first getting into computer networking and cybersecurity, I would type in what is my IP address? And surely enough, your website was the first thing to pop up. Was it meant to be as descriptive to answer the question of others, or did you just think that was a clever name? I thought it was a very useful, clever name at the time. And in some sense, like looking back at it, I'm not sure that it was actually the best choice because while it's great for answering the question, what is my IP address, it's not great for other content. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. Think of it, if you started a store called Blue Shoes Only, and then you decided to start selling <laughs> something other than Blue Shoes, who's going to come to your store? That's very true. How have you adapted the website so far? What have you added to it? And, and how is it different than the, the old days? In the old days, the, the first probably couple of years, it was seriously just the IP address, no HTML markup, no, no graphics, no nothing, no links, nothing. I think part of it is I was uh, a web developer at the time. And so I slowly started to with the, the frequently asked questions and stuff, I slowly started to add content. And I eventually switched to a CMS called Geeklog, which a uh, precursor to, I don't, know, I don't know if it started before uh, WordPress or not, but I ran using the Geeklog CMS for quite a while in order to manage content and be able to edit it. And I found out very quickly because I was, me being the techno geek that I am, the server was in my home up until about eight years ago. And the database requirements of just the number of people hitting the site would just crush the machine. And so I ultimately had to switch it off of a CMS and hand-coded everything in order to try to keep it as clean and lightweight as possible. And then I've added added features as time has gone time has gone by was with the advent of VPNs, not on the corporate side, but on the personal consumer side. It's been a huge growth area for me with content around VPNs, how to hide your IP address how to stream Netflix from outside the U.S., things like that. have been a, definitely a big driver of traffic over the last couple of years. With all of that traffic and having a domain like this, whatismyipaddress.com, I'm sure you get scanned a lot. Uh, users probably scan you for seeing if you have any open ports to see what your IP address is and maybe to even see if there's any vulnerabilities in one of their favorite websites. What kind of scans and things have you learned over the time? 
Yeah, I think uh, some of the interesting things is I used to, like I said, I was running it off my um, out of my house. I had a, a half rack in my home office, a couple of T1 connections, a fixed wireless connection. I had the fun of managing a link balancer and a load balancer. So managing the traffic over the different internet connections, managing the tra- traffic over various servers. And I know at least one time the server got compromised and someone was able to get a, a couple of files up into it. And that was probably... It was probably around year eight or something like that. There was another time that it's funny because a lot of this stuff happens if I'm I'm traveling and out of the country. It's like they're listening or watching to me. That there is a self-service ad platform called OpenX that allowed people to run display ads on their own websites and prioritize them, decide what ads get shown to what people. And there must have been a flaw somewhere in the OpenX open source platform. And for some reason, somebody started iframing my website on OpenX, on compromised OpenX ad servers. And while I was out of the country, basically there's enough traffic coming in that it saturated all my internet connections, overwhelmed the link balancer. And I'm trying to, trying to remote diagnose this from halfway around the world. And uh, ultimately, it was one of those things that after... After a couple of days, it just disappeared and don't know why it happened. I'm not sure that it was intentional. It wasn't necessarily a denial of service attack, but that went away. One thing that I've definitely seen that probably most people that run a website is I definitely had denial of service attacks starting at 25 megabits, saturating a low-end router. I think the biggest one I saw was up around 350 megabits before the router started to... to mm. Before the router started to barf out. That was the point where I realized, okay, I... I I need something a little more professional on the edge point here that just having my own router in a, in a data center was not going to keep the, the malware at bay, not going to keep the script kitties at, at bay. And so I did go with, I, guess I probably won't say who I was originally with, but I went with one of, the, one of the major providers. And I was really surprised that I probably saw, if if you looked at what actually hit my servers by putting up one of these CDN companies to block out malicious traffic, I saw about a 90% drop in hits to my server. Wow. <laughs> and, my, and mind you, I didn't see it like as far as any of the logs would go for analytics and things like that, no change in the logs. So this was purely like 90% of the traffic that was hitting my servers was purely either scripts or malicious. It's just insane. That is insane. That's a lot of traffic, but I'm not really surprised. One thing I, I, I would like to walk down is the formation of Easy Prey because we're talking about all of these bots, all of these folks that are using your service for malicious purposes. Tell us about the origins of Easy Prey and how you're using it today. So the original origin of it was I was trying to figure out, you know, I've got this big audience. How do I provide more content to them? How can I better serve my audience that I already have? I think that's the reverse situation that a lot of podcasters have is they've got an idea and they don't have an audience. I had an audience and I wasn't sure what the idea was. And so I originally started uh, mapping out episodes, talking about just IT stuff, how to secure your router, how to uh, install a VPN software. And I, I probably had 40 or 50 episodes and I was like, gosh, this is really boring stuff. This is not very, this is not what I want to be talking about. And I'm going to I'm going to run out of stuff out of 40 or 50 episodes. I'm just going to end up totally repeating myself and no one's going to enjoy it. It's just, while it's useful content, it just wasn't something that I was like excited about talking about. 
And through a lot of iterations, talking with a business coach, talking with a couple other people, we came up with the idea of Easy Prey and really going through all the online and offline scams and situations where people become victims. And that would give an opportunity to have people on telling their stories, talking to experts. So it wasn't just me going on for a, a monologue, but I'd have people to talk to about these things. Because I've been getting so many emails over the years of people who lost their life savings to romance scams. People had gone to their bank accounts or they had someone, the, the fake IRS scams, all those sort of things that I was like, man, I, I need to do something to help you know, make the world a better place and educate people about everything that's going on out there. So that's the high level origin of the website, of the, uh, the podcast. That's incredible. I'm sure you hear all types of different stories. To this date, what would you say is the story that impacted you the most? There was a woman in the Philippines who, it, I was actually surprised because most of those scams that I've heard, the romance scams and whatnot, they really take place over a fairly short period of time, That whether it's a couple of weeks or maybe a month at most before the scammer is trying to get money out of people. And this woman had, uh, she'd met some people online and become part of this little group of half a dozen, what she thought was a half a dozen people, that it was her and four or five people that claimed to be in the U.S. military in the Middle East. And for several months, it was just, hey, how's it going? What's up? Here's where we're at. The sort of chit-chat that you would normally expect online. And after they had really fostered that relationship and built her trust, it was, hey, we're going to go over to England on leave, and uh, we're going to spend a, a couple weeks over there. And so that was the beginning of the story. And then I was like, hey, we're going to play the lottery while we're over there. And because we are active duty military, we're not allowed to participate in the lottery. How about if we put your name down as the person? And if we win, we'll give you like 10% of the lottery winnings. And so she's like, yeah, sure. Why not? And surprise, they win the lottery. And then it's this, well, now we can't take the money ourselves. We need to route it through this other bank. And can you talk to the guy from the bank? Then there's the, the fees to get the money out of the lottery. And then all these fees start coming up that the woman ends up paying because she thinks there's this huge payday coming. And she ends up draining her entire life savings. She ends oh. up get, getting a second mortgage on her house. And all the money goes to, to get the lottery winnings. And then... Once she's out of money and she says, look, guys, I don't have anything like where else can we go to get some more money so we can get the lottery winnings? At the point that she ran out of money, they disappeared and ghosted her. What really struck me is that she knew that she had been scammed, but there was another part of her that she kept bringing up in conversation that was, I want to make sure they're okay. I, I, I hope they didn't get killed and killed in Afghanistan or Iraq. So part of her knew that it was a scam, but part of her still... Because they'd spent like six months building up this relationship with her, all of a sudden her friends disappeared and she was just as hurt over losing her friends as she was the money. And she ended up getting evicted from her home and that was about the last I heard of her. But that, that was the point where I was like, man, I've, I've got to do something. What are some of the things that you're doing? What are some of your personal missions that you're focused on today? Or is it helping these victims or are you focused on other things? I think it's really primarily around education. From talking with people in law enforcement is once the money is gone, there's usually the chance of people getting money back is slim to none. Maybe in some investment scams that might happen in the US, there might be some legal way to get some of the money back. But 
the vast majority of the just the pure scam stuff, once the money's overseas, it's gone. And there's people that spend tens of thousands of dollars trying to pursue it legally, and they're just throwing money away. So you really have to educate people so they don't become a victim of the crime in the first place. And so that's the angle I'm working from. The interesting thing is that, and the sad thing is that she really built a relationship with these folks. And it's almost, you almost have to wonder about the mindset of the the attackers because they're really, they, I don't think they look at people as people. They look at people as slot machines or ATMs in order to get their money because they're really tricking these people. And these people develop feelings of a friendship with, with these uh, scammers. I, I, have you thought much about the the psychology that goes behind a lot of these scams? I've thought probably more about the psychology from the victim side or the survivor, if you want to call them that, than from the the perpetrator. I did recently have an episode with Brett Johnson, who was a, a well-known cyber criminal. And for him, it was just about, he rationalized it. I'm providing for my kids. I'm providing for my family. At some point, it grew beyond that, but that was originally how it started. Hey, I'm good at this. Why don't I keep doing it? I think for a lot of, let's use the typical Nigerian scam, uh, what I've seen from the scammers is Americans have so much money that it's no they could afford to lose ten or twenty thousand dollars and it's not going to affect their life. Yet the scammer getting a ten or twenty thousand dollars, that sets them up for the next ten or twenty years of their life. And, and so this I think because there's such a wide fiscal or <laughs> financial difference in people, that it just they don't think about the fact that there's families that, gosh, it costs a lot of money to live in the United States. We might make more than other people in the world, but our rents are you know hundreds of times what people are paying elsewhere in the world in some cases. But I think it's usually at some point that these things start small and then they just keep getting bigger and bigger. And at some point, I think there is, there's got to be a certain amount of people that are just psychopaths or sociopaths, whichever you, you want to call it, that just don't care. It's just about making money for them. That makes me think with your show, you're having so many people tell their story and you're having experts come on. What are some of the learnings that you've taken away that you've implemented in your life to ensure that you aren't going to get scammed in the future? I I think the thing you always have to think of is if you think you're 100% bulletproof, that's probably the worst place to be in Um, because then you're almost... If you think you have no vulnerabilities, it's when your vulnerabilities are going to get exploited. Even though I've done this, I have still, I had a fake advertiser scam me out of ad revenue. I thought they were the real company. It was a pretty uh, shrewd deal and I I lost some money over that. So even being in this position, there's still the opportunity to fall victim to these sort of things. But I think it's becoming more and more aware of the tricks that the scammers use there's always this the combination of emotion, urgency, and authority or trust. That the authority, the trust can come from like a long built up relationship, but then it comes down to these. Well, you've known me for the for this long, or I'm going to shut your power off, and this has to happen right now. All these things come into combination. I think once you start seeing each of these red flags trigger, you're like, oh, okay, hey, this is a scam coming. So I have fun taking those robocalls that no one else wants to take. And trying to figure out, like, what's the scam? How are they going to do it? And it, it almost always revolves around those three. And so if we can, like, pause when something emotional happens, check with family or friends, that's a huge way to mitigate the vast majority of these types of scams. 
This might not be scam related, but it almost feels like all of the fluff that we get on social media, all of the fluff that we get on LinkedIn is a bit of the same thing. I'm not sure if you all feel the same way, but that's how I feel when I'm constantly being advertised to. Yeah, a lot of the techniques behind, I think, scams are fairly similar to what you would see behind marketing. In marketing, they call it FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, or or FOMO, fear of missing out. And I think marketing in general employs very similar tactics. They employ the urgency. Hey, it's a while the while this deal lasts, or it's not gonna it's not gonna be here tomorrow, or the rebate ends next week, and it's only gonna get renewed the following week. As seen on TV, it's all the same elements that are tied in there. Yep, absolutely. I would like to switch gears a little bit and hear about some of the things that you're hopeful for. We have a lot of digital transformation going on right now. You have your business, your podcast. What does the future and hopes look like for you as an individual? I think I've been really excited that my business has grown over the last couple of years. I was originally, it was just a a one-man shop, just me. And over the last couple of years, I brought on a number of contractors doing various things for me. And I think there's something, being a business owner, there's something very satisfactory about helping people achieve their dreams also. And so I'm excited about putting a whole new back end together for the website. And it's been a year in the making and it will really help my my team to be able to put more content out on the website, to put out better content. And most importantly, without me being the bottleneck, <laughs> without me being the bottleneck behind all of it. So I look forward to a lot of freedom to think bigger and be able to bring on a larger team. It's one of those things is my wife and I are happy with how we're doing financially. We've been able to give to charities. And as I grow the business, making more money is not as relevant to me as being able to help people live out their dreams and grow their businesses. So I'm looking forward to that direction. Obviously, like anybody, you've got to you've got to diversify. Google could Google could come along tomorrow and give me a slap, and that would be a huge hit to revenue. So I can't just assume that IP addresses are going to be around for the next hundred years. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting thought, though. Being able to do more of what you want to do, because you were talking about being able to give back, being able to support other folks uh, in the industry, and think a little less about yourself. And I think that's the ultimate pinnacle of success is being able to give back to folks. Now, in what ways specifically would you love to give back to either the young entrepreneurs, the the young podcasters of the world? A lot of it is just looking for good talent to bring them on as a contractor for me. I've had people say, "Hey, you need to to do classes on how to run a successful business, how to run a successful website, how to grow a website to 9 million visits." Maybe it's a little bit of what do they call it? Imposter syndrome that I'm like, "I don't know that I could teach someone how to to have the success that I've had with my website. I don't know that I didn't necessarily have a specific formula that I was following. There's a certain amount of it was being in the right place, in the right time with the resources to do something, and then having time on nights and weekends to be able to to foster it and grow it for many years at a loss before it became a business. I love going on other people's podcasts and talking about my story. I love being able to talk about scams and interview people about scams. And hopefully those sort of things will, will help small business people be aware of the scams and not create some of the mistakes that I have. I'm sure being business oriented is somewhat being enlightened in a certain way, but being enlightened about business, maybe education, knowledge. 
do you have certain strategies that you take to just constantly push the needle forward and make sure that your business stays healthy and thriving? Chris and I, we do quite a bit of outreach on LinkedIn and social media to make sure not only that we spread our message, spread our word and provide an impact, but also so we get to grow our business. What kind of things and, and tools are you using to make sure that your business is growing and what education can you share with our listeners? I think probably one, it was funny because I spent a little bit of time in college doing business courses and, and didn't particularly like it. In my youth, I, I bought a, biz, a bunch of business books and never could get anything out of them. I think only at one, only at the point where I actually started to have a business and I started to bump up, bump up against technical issues or how do I grow my business that, that it really came down to, for me, getting a bit, finding a, a business coach that was able to, to push me outside my comfort zone. It was very easy for me to just, I'll just keep doing what I've been doing for the long time. And I'm just happy with that. But I think the vast majority of growth that I've had over the last couple of years is because I've been nudged, not hit with a two by four or anything, but nudged outside of what's comfortable for me. The, the thought of being on a podcast initially utterly freaked me out. Even more the, the thought of, of doing a podcast was like, oh, I could never do that. That's, that's, that's mind-numbingly scary. And now it's, I still get nervous, but it's, there's a funness to it. it. It's not overwhelming. I don't want to go run and hide. So I think finding the things that really challenged me, got me out of my comfort zone. And, and some of them have been absolute failures and realizations that, gosh, I'm horrible at, I'm not a good marketer. I need to find good marketing people. I need to figure out how to better manage my time. So I what was at uh, David Allen's uh, Getting Things Done. Yeah. And mind you, I, I had probably read that book three or four times and never applied it. And it never, what do I need this for? Maybe it was because the technology wasn't available now that we got smartphones so we can create lists and stuff. Getting Things Done has been a, a, a huge thing for me to not forget all the little things that I've got to do and when they've got to get done. Having platforms like Evernote that I can access notes from, whether it's my phone, my laptop, my desktop, my my tablet, but I don't forget those things. I think some of those things have been incremental successes, but it's also that challenge of finding where can I remove myself from my business? That way I can do the things that I'm passionate about. Lots of people and myself included, I do my own accounting. I probably should outsource it because I have no accounting background. I have a real, it says I have a really small business, so it makes sense. Maybe it makes sense to me to do it, but there's a lot of people that are in their businesses. They could be outsourcing something to someone else who's qualified, who could do a better job of it for less money and free up the business person for actually doing what they're passionate about. Chris, thank you so much for hopping on the mics with us. A lot of lessons, the story about the lady, it's a tragic story, but still the lessons are there for folks to, to understand that there's scammers out there. We love the story about how you, you built your own website that garners millions and millions of visits. Uh, for the folks that want to stay up to date with you, your podcast, and figuring out what their IP address is, what is the best way that people can do that? Uh, the easiest way for people to find out their IP address is to visit whatismyipaddress.com. And for the Easy Prey Podcast, you can just Google Easy Prey Podcast and you'll find me on pretty much any social media and the website. Fantastic, Chris. We're going to put all of those resources down in the show notes. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Thank you very much, Chris and Ron. 
If you found value in this content, it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend, or talked about it over coffee. Thank you.